we're talking about the unknowns. And I love the unknowns because we're unknowns a lot of times. And we, we feel like that nobody might know who we are, but God knows who we are. And God can do something specific, something special, something individual in your life through you that'll accomplish great things. And there'll be crowns in heaven for you. And you'll come in with a joyous victory and say, man, I can't believe how many lives God actually affected through me. And look, that's, that's what God wants to do. And that's exactly what he did in the unknowns. There's a guy in the Bible named Jehu. And this is my character. And uh, you say, Casey, why did you pick this character? I'm not quite sure, but as I, I just know that this was an aggressive dude and he, and, he, and he did a lot of things. And so I thought this would be a good guy. I'm kind of aggressive. And so I, I want to kind of do this guy some justice and stay on the edge. So lean forward, embrace yourself as we talk about Jehu, because his name means Jehovah is he. I mean, how would you like the name that says God is he? Man, that is a good name. Another translation says that he is a coachman or a driver or one who drives furiously. How many men do I have who drive furiously in here? Hey, I do. You know, I, I love the speed limit, but I hate it, if you know what I'm talking about. I was going down O'Neill Road about a week ago, and this message is in me, and I'm going 40, then I'm going 48, then I'm past the 50 mark, then I'm 53, then I'm 57, and my wife was about to say something, and then guess what? I saw the blue lights come on. <laughs> I pulled over, I pulled into the subdivision, and the guy came up to me, I said, sir, don't you know I'm preaching about Jehu? <laughs> I'm just kidding. He would have called me a weirdo and said, I'll never go to that church. I handed him my thing, and I, here's exactly what I did. I handed him my wallet, and I didn't have my wallet. I handed him my, my driver's license, and then after he walked off, I threw it down on the thing. I said, hey, that's what I did, okay? You know, I'm, I'm being transparent, you know? Jehu is in me! Just kidding, all right. The Lord is working on me. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, but... But uh, the, the, the uh, police officer came back, and... Uh, he said, Mr. Stokes, I'm writing you a warning. I said, praise God. <laughs> As I was leaving, I said, yes, Lord, I know I'm on the right character, Jehu. <laughs> he was a prophet, a military commander, the 10th king of Israel. He was the founder of the fifth dynasty of the kingdom of Israel, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. He reigned for 28 years. This dude has a resume. He, he, the hallmark of Jehu's life is he's known for exterminating, and I love that word, exterminating the lineage of King Ahab. They say, who's King Ahab? King Ahab was one of the most wicked kings the kingdom or the nation of Israel had ever seen. So he's a bad dude. So the, this God's people, and he's a wicked king, and guess what? Jehu, God's going to use to exterminate him. One of the main reasons King Ahab was so wicked, he integrated false worship, false gods, a false god named Baal. He actually made it a state religion. He, he said, you know what, I'm going to sponsor it officially as a state, Baal worship. That's horrible, by the way. Horrible. Can you imagine the people of God instituting from a king uh, false worship? Man, it's, it's, it's unheard of. It's crazy, but that's exactly what Ahab did. Not only that, he married a wicked pagan, a Phoenician queen by the name of Jezebel. This Jezebel lady, she was wicked. She was full of demons. I mean, this lady had, man, she was bad news. You know what I'm talking about? And she had Ahab right beneath her long fingernails. 
and she turned him like a puppet. Not only that, she killed hundreds of God's prophets. I mean, killed God's messengers. And anything that got in her way, she exterminated as well. And she was a wicked queen, and Ahab was a wicked king, and God was fed up, basically. He was fed up. We see this wicked queen right here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. So it was why Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. So we got this guy, Obadiah, I'm giving you some context. We got a wicked king, a wicked queen, killing God's prophets who are trying to say this is not right. We shouldn't have Baal worship. This is not what we should do. She had them murdered. So this guy Obadiah said, man, we're going to lose all of God's prophets. I'm going to go hide a hundred of them away. But there was one prophet that was basically out in the light, in the daylight, who wasn't hidden in a cave. And his name was Elijah. Elijah was a major prophet in the Old Testament. And this dude thought he was the last one on the scene. He didn't know that a guy named Obadiah had hidden 50 prophets here and 50 prophets there. He thought he was all alone. So what he decided to do from the word of the Lord is to confront the false prophets that basically Jezebel institutionalized in the nation and King Ahab in the nation of Israel. The false prophets of Baal is what they were. So Elijah said, I'm going to confront these false prophets. I'm the only one left, but I got to do the job. And so he came to a scene in the Bible where there was 450 false prophets and there was him. So they built a sacrifice, basically, and Elijah said, I'll tell you what, the real one true God will answer, answer by fire. So I tell you what, you call on your God, you 450, and I'm going to call on my God, and the God that answers by fire, he's the one true God. Well, Elijah's God, Jehovah Jireh, God, the provider, answered by fire, the real God, the one true God of Israel, answered by fire and basically stunned the, the 450 prophets. So then he decided, well, my God's the real God. So then Elijah basically executed all 450 prophets. That's a cool dude. That's a prophet I want to hang out with. After he killed 450 of the false prophets, King Ahab was amazed. And you know what he did? He ran back to his woman, Jezebel, to tell her what Elijah did to all of the false prophets. Well, Elijah saw him going back to see Jezebel, so he said, I'm going to head back there to the house too. I'm going to talk to her myself. So you can imagine what you would think this prophet's going to say after he executed 450 false prophets. But when he got there, Jezebel manipulated him and said, I'm going to kill you, Elijah, because you killed all the false prophets. And tomorrow is when I'm going to do it. And guess what happened to Elijah? You would think the man of God would have done something great, but he ran in fear and he was paralyzed by fear to such a degree. He, pay, he prayed suicidal prayers. He said, God, go ahead and just kill me. How many of us prayed those prayers before? God, just kill me now. Take me home. Jesus, come back, you know. That's what happened. He was doing great things for God one day. You can have a good day one day and a bad day the next day. And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. But God's plan wasn't dependent upon a prophet who was scared, who thought he was all alone. He said, I've got a guy named Jehu. Come on, say Jehu. Yeah, I got a guy named Jehu that's going to take care of the business for me, Elijah. Your work's finished. You're scared. You did a good thing, but I'm going to move you off of the scene. And this is what he said. First Kings chapter 19, verse 16, he's giving him the plan 
the starting point to Elijah. He said, also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha, this is his replacement. He said, I'm gonna go ahead and replace you. Your job's done, my friend. It's time to move on. You, I'm gonna give you some guy that looks kind of, his name sounds sort of like yours. His name's Elisha instead of Elijah. So he said, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. I love God because he's going to accomplish his plan no matter what and no matter with who because God is on the throne. Verse 17, and it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. In other words, God is about to clean house. God is about to clean house one way or the other, and he is going to stop this sick thing that's going on in the nation of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. For your word, God, for our life, God, I pray, God, that as we look at Jehu, that, God, we would see ourselves, that, God, through this great story, we would mine out some ingredients that's going to help us to move forward in your calling for our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. So it happens, just as God said it was going to happen through Elijah, he got his replacement named Elisha, gave the message to Elisha, and Elisha is carrying the baton. It's like the 400-meter relay. I got it, and I'm running. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, And Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready, take this flask of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from amongst his associates. I want you to remember that. Make him rise up from amongst his associates and take him to the inner room, then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I've anointed you king over Israel, then take off, take off. The first real ingredient or nugget or this thing that really struck my heart was that in the life of Jehu, he had to rise up from the noise of the associates. See, as an individual, for God to give you a plan for your life, you have to rise up from the voice of the associates in your life. Now, the voice of the associates can mean many things for many different people. The voice of the associates might be your kids, your, your spouse, that blog you're reading, that book you're reading, even a sermon you're chewing on, or, or even some leaders at times. These are all supplements, and God uses these to strengthen you as an individual, but there needs to come a time that you by yourself rise up from the noise of the associates, it could be media, it could be the phone, and be taken into that inner room like Jehu was, which is the quiet place, which is the solitary place, which is the meditative place, so that you can maybe hear the prophetic word that God has for your life. Now, let me explain that. God has a prophetic word. Let's freeze that word prophetic. God wants to speak to you something that he wants to do in the future through your life that actually hasn't taken place yet. God can do that in your life. You say, me, yes, you. I don't think you believe it. Say, yes, you. God, God has a word for you, specifically to you, custom tailored for you. If the suit fits, if you know what I'm talking about, the shoe fits. It's a square peg for a square hole, and I'm a square. But the noise of the associates are distractions in our life, and we have the inability to go to that place where we can hear God. I wrote in my notes, isolation and meditation in a quiet place in order to hear from God is a spiritual discipline that most of us lack. Hey, look, it, even myself, 
I go sit in a quiet place. After about 15 minutes, I'm looking for my phone. Oh, there it is. I even got it on me right now. Don't preach without it. You know how it is. Don't leave home without it. Don't preach without it either. Here, Here it is. And, 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 and our mind becomes codependent on exterior noise. We don't even know it. It just happens. It's accidental. It's a slow progression until we have to hear the noise of the associates and we can never be still and know that God is God. It can happen, folks, and you can go through years. I was, I was reading an article earlier about Steve Jobs and media and what he did to his kids. He, and, and, and scientists are saying kids who are on media below 10 years old, they create a codependency on media, and they don't even know it because their brain is developing versus a codependency on imagination and, and, and intuition and creativity and all the things that's put in the brain. We got, we have to, it's, it's imperative that we remove the noise of the associates so that we can go into that inner room and it's our responsibility to leave the room in order to hear from God. You with me? I see that in the life of Jehu and I thought, wow, this is, this is good. I need it in my life. So we're gonna continue the story and it goes ahead and it comes to pass, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 4. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. There's the associates. I have a message, a message for you, commander. He said, for which of us, Ashley? I love that. I don't have time to break everything. I love that because it shows almost a mark of humility because he was amongst other military commanders, other people who were doing what he was doing. He said, Who's it for? He didn't say, it's for me. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, yeah. No, he said, who's it for? It's for you. I love that he was the commander and he said, who's it for? It was a prophet. They, it was a prophet. For who? Verse six, so Jehu got up, went to the house. He left the noise of the associates. He went to the inner room and then in the inner room, see what happens. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and the house of Basha, the son of Elijah. Verse 10, as for Jezebel, I love this. Dogs will devour her on the plot of the ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. I mean, I would run too after a message like that. <laughs> now, it, this was no ordinary man, this character, Jehu. He was a commander. He was a trained killer. And so after the prophet gave him this message, I'm sure, and I like to use my imagination, this is what makes the Bible real. Matter of fact, the Old Testament is rated R, by the way. So if you have kids in here, NC Kids is a wonderful place to be. <laughs> That's why we do what we do. So, so I can imagine this prophet telling this trained executor, this military killer, what the word of the Lord is for his life. Now, him hearing that, I'm sure God was already dealing with him in this area, in his inner man. And as it was being confirmed by the prophet, I'm sure his hand started slipping down to his sword and gripping it. And he probably stood up and his teeth and his jaws locked down and his eyes turned bloodshot. That dude ran, nevertheless. So you give me, that's how I like to read the Bible, by the way. His mouth was foaming, he had a big beard. Seriously, we're, we're going to look at a few more things like that here in a second. 
But what I realized that is once you remove yourself from the noise of the associates and go into the inner room, God has specific directions for your life. Specific. And that's exactly what he did with Jehu. He gave him specific directions. It's possible. And I'm going to tell you why it's possible, because you're the apple of God's eye. And God doesn't look at you like any different than he looks at me or anybody else. We're all in the even playing field. And you all are individuals and none of you are alike. There is no clones in the kingdom, right? And so God has a word for you. If you begin to develop the posture of positioning yourself to hear from God, it's a posture that must be developed. See, I I was at the Wiggins location and I'm just a raw, honest guy. I told the location, I went to a park before there, I got to the uh, park, actually I went to Dizzy Dean Rest Stop. Now that's a funny place to go. I'd never been there before. I thought it was an odd name. I'm gonna get there an hour ahead of church and I'm gonna pray and meditate and maybe the Lord has a word for me. Well, as I was praying and meditating, I'm developing the posture of hearing from God, but can I be honest with you? I was distracted because the circulation wasn't flowing real well in my foot, so I was kind of worried about that kind of concerned. So I began to walk to track at the Dizzy Dean and started thinking about blood circulation. And I said, oh, well, God's good. And let's go preach. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. I was developing a posture to hear from God. And just because I didn't have some great grand thing, it doesn't mean that God is not faithful. It means that I'm developing a posture and a routine, believing that God, even with the small faith of a mustard seed, that God has a specific direction for me as an individual. That's right. He does. Go give it up for Jesus, not me. I didn't have some grandy word coming off the mountain and my face didn't show light. They didn't put a veil on their face when they got to church. They just laughed at me. <laughs> but you're the apple of God's eye. Individualism when it comes to God on a grand team called the body of Christ. Specific directions is what happens when you get alone. Story unfolds, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 11. Then Jehu came out after he got specific directions from the prophet. He came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, is all well? Why did this madman come to you? I'm sure they thought to do as a madman. He took off in a wind sprint out the door. And he said to them, you know this man and his babble. And they said, you're a liar. I love to be around people who know us really well. Who can say, you're lying. I know you're lying. Uh-huh. Fold up. Come on. Tell us now. So he said, so here's what he said. Thus and thus he spoke to me saying, thus says the Lord, I've anointed you king of Israel. Verse 13, then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps. This is very powerful. And they blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. After you get specific instructions in the inner room, when the noise of the associates has been removed, you have to go public. Going public is part of God's plan for man. What's so cool here is that in humility, Jehu declared the goals that he was going to accomplish from God. He, he wasn't really like, well, he didn't come out blowing his own trumpet. He came out and said, you know, well, this dude was a crazy man. You're a liar. Tell us. Okay, I will. In humility, we declare the goals and the plans that God has for us. There is a time when you have to go public with what God is doing in your life. And the best place to go public is in a safe place where there's real community that takes place, where there's the law of the inner circle operating. And the law of the inner circle states 
that those closest to you will determine your level of success. I love Jehu's friends when they heard the plans, when they heard the purpose, when they heard the specific instructions, they blew the trumpet, they threw down their garments, and they said, let's do this then. Those are the type of people that you have to surround yourself in. You say, well, I need my inner circle because God's got plans for me. Well, are you somebody else's inner circle helping them reach their plans? Now, come on now. I got to work. I got to make sure I got my inner circle just in alignment. So, no, 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 no. You got to be that inner circle you want. It's called the law of attraction. You attract what you are. And that's what, that's what Jehu was. It was so good. When you go public, a part of going public is writing it down. When, when you write down what God is speaking to you, it might be a journal. It might be a note app. You need to begin to pin down what the Lord is speaking to you in that inner place where you're inspired by God, you begin to pin it. Once you begin to pin it, you begin to pray over it. Once you begin to pray over it, you begin to develop it. Once you begin to develop, you get other ones around you to hold you accountable to see that thing come to pass. That's what was happening here. You've got to go public with your faith. You've got to go public with your calling. You've got to go public with what you think God wants you to do. And those who do not lay down their garment and understand, then you went public in the wrong place. <laughs> Jehu went public. And after he went public, the plan begins to unfold quickly. So what I love about Jehu is he is not a procrastinator. He doesn't compromise. He went straight to work. He killed seven major categories of people. We're just going to look at a couple of them. First, we're going to look at the son of Ahab and Jezebel named Jeroam. This is so cool because God gave him specific instructions. And we see right here, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Jeroam. Now, I circled the word conspired because God will give you specific instructions and then allow you or give you liberty or give you leeway to use your creativity, your passions, your, your desires, your personality type, your life experiences, self-expression, if you would, to accomplish the will of God. Jehu exercised self-expression and who he was as an individual, his own flavor, if you would, his own swag. He didn't have to copycat somebody else and accomplish. It says he began to conspire. Why did he begin to conspire? He understood how to execute people. And God knew that. He said, go ahead, boy, get at it. You got a good brain. You're trained. Let me see you accomplish the will. Because ultimately, I want King Ahab rid from the face of the earth. Pastor Van taught, uh, teaches this lesson to staff, especially new staff members. He says it this way. He says, I want every chair out of this sanctuary by 3 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday. You can do it at 2.59 if you're real good. You can do it now. I don't care how you do it, but I want the chairs gone at 3 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday. That's exactly what God does. He says, I want the chairs removed. I want Ahab removed, but I'm going to use your creativity. I'm going to use your self-expression to make myself great in the land. That's what he did with Jehu. I love it. We see Jehu moving forward, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 17. He's going to go ahead and kill this dude. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company of men. And Jerome said, get a horseman and send him to meet them and let them say, or let him say, is it peace? 
So the horsemen went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. This dude was a recruiter too. <laughs> he took the duty he was going to kill and said, get on my side. I got, I'm going to recruit me some people as well. You can always recruit people when you know you're moving in God's mission. Now, so the watchman reported saying the messenger went to them, but is not coming back. And he said, okay, well, dang, <laughs> let me send out another dude. So they sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered again, what have you to do with peace? Turn around, follow me. Get on in, get in rank, son. I'm sure they said, yeah, okay. I'm sure he said it a little bit differently too. I mean, you know, I don't know if he had all his teeth in his hand. I don't know, just kidding. <laughs> I'm having a good time, man. So the watchman reported saying, he went up to them and he's not coming back and he's driving like the, the son of Nimshi, Drehu, but he drives furiously. He obviously had a, a thing going around town the way he drove. Because these guys said, it looks like Jehu, I mean, the horse's nostrils are flared and he's leaning forward, man. And he looks like a madman, you know, and he's just, uh. verse 22. So here we go. He drives furiously. Verse 21, Then Jerome said, well, let, man, we, we got to go out here, man, before he gets here. This is Jehu probably. So they made ready his chariots and they made him ready. Then Jerome, king of Israel, Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out each in his chariot and they went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Verse 22. Now it happened when Jerome saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? Third time, is it peace? Remember that, is it peace, Jehu? So he, he said, uh, here's what he said, same thing. What is peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft or so many? Verse 23, then Jerome turned and fled. <laughs> Better believe he fled. He said, yo mama. <laughs> Literally, he, that, that's some, that was a mama joke for you. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Your mama. And this dude was a king. Jehu didn't care. There was no respect there. You know what I'm talking about? Love this guy. Then Jerome, he turned around and fled. Good choice. And he said, treachery, Ahaziah. And, but too late. Verse 24, Jehu drew his bow with full strength, shot him between his arms. The arrow came out of his heart and it sank down in his chariot. I love the description. Verse 25, then Jehu said to Bidikar, his captain, pick him up, throw him into the track of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember, remember, when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Verse 26, surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth, the blood of his sons, says the Lord. It's so great that as you're moving forward in the mission of God, you're remembering the words that the Lord had given you maybe years and years earlier. They're like mile markers. They're like gasoline at the rest stop that gets you moving to the next level. We gotta have mile markers where we see the accomplishment of the word of God in our life that motivates us, that causes us to remember his faithfulness, to continue in his mission. Now, oh, absolutely. Remember when I told you to highlight the word, is it peace? Is it peace? Three times they asked Jehu, is it peace? Is it peace is an ancient term that tries to negotiate versus what the plan was. Negotiate, we don't want war here. The first enemy that you have to destroy is the voice of negotiation. When God gives you a word and a clear plan that's from him, the voice of negotiation will try to sidetrack you. It is your enemy. When you begin to have conversations within your mind and with, it, within, with it, other people or whatever the vehicle may be, 
When you begin to have conversations about uh, negotiating the plan of God in your life, it will lead to compromisation. It will lead to compromising. Negotiation will always lead to compromising the will of God in your life. And you have to kill and you have to silence the voice of negotiation from within and from without. It said with full strength, Jehu drew his bow, his, 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 uh, his bow and he killed Jeroham, which represents the voice of negotiation. Share my, my, my personal story. Um, I'm a pastor. I, 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 this is what God called me to do. And uh, I've had a voice of negotiation come in my life before. And, and, and this is no, no hit on the church. I love the church. Hey, I'm blessed. But he said, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you can make six figures plus. I know you can do this. And then you can accomplish more. And you might say, well, I'm blessed. I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm not poor mouth or anything. But if I begin to conversate with that, then I can start believing it. But you know what I did? I remember, yeah, yeah, but maybe I can, maybe I could. But you know what? In 1999, my, uh, God began to, to, to save my family and restore my family and, 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 and put together a marriage. My parents were sitting right there on the front row of the church. And in year 2000, God called me. And immediately when he called me, he said, you're alive. The reason you're alive is to be a gift to the body of Christ and whatever vehicle I've called you to be a part in. So I said, you know what? I don't care what I could do or what I'm going to do. This is where God's planted me. This is where I'll finish. I'll fulfill the work of the ministry. I will not negotiate. Now, you got to figure that out on your own, what your negotiating thoughts are. Everybody has them. You say, well, you can you have it? Absolutely. I love authenticity, and that's what we're doing as a staff. This is it. This is who we are. This is what we do. The voice of negotiation is not for you. You got to kill it. You got to kill it. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the story right here, is when he kills Jezebel. This is nothing against women, by the way. <laughs> I'm not a male chauvinist, but I am a male. Now, the killing of Jezebel, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30. Now, when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. So she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through the window. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, is it peace? There it is. <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> Is it peace? Now watch this, murderer of your master. I want you to remember that, murderer of your master. A great accusation that should paralyze. Except God knew what he was doing when he was picking Jehu and when he told Elijah, don't worry, Jehu's going, didn't work on Jehu, watch this. And he looked up at the window and he said, who is on my side? I love it, he's a recruiter too, man. And these are people that serve in her. He said, who's on my side, who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. We're not going to discuss that. Verse 33, then he said, throw her down. So guess what they did? They threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall. Now freeze this frame and on the horses. That's really cool. <laughs> Use your imagination. I, I did this first service. I'm on the edge. I know, Lord. This executor that God's called, he throws down this wicked queen that has killed hundreds of God's prophets. And it said the head hit the wall and hit his face and the blood on the horses. You can imagine them horses just. <laughs> That's for you men who like 300. Get back to reading your Bible and you can be entertained while God speaks to you. Come on, turn the Netflix off. 
I love that. Now, this is what I really love. Here's what he said after, at, well, after the blood splattered on the wall and the horses. I like how God added the horses again. He trampled her underfoot. He just went ahead and run over her. Now, this is even more special about Jehu. You think you got a strong stomach. He really does. So he went in and he said, give me something to eat and drink. I'm hungry. <laughs> said he went in and he ate and drank. Put that verse up. Verse 34, and when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Wow, this is a real dude. Then he said, go now see that this accursed woman, go see this accursed woman and bury her for she was the king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more than her skull and her feet and the palms of her hand. Now we're into a horror flick, by the way. (laughs) That's for those who like zombie movies or whatnot, okay? Verse 36, therefore they came back and they told uh, Jehu, man, there's nothing left. He said, aha, remember, there it is again. This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant, Elisha. The dude had been replaced. God is still bringing to pass what he had spoke. Elijah, the Tishbite saying on the plot of the ground of Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, verse 37, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as a refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel so that they shall not even say here lies Jezebel. Disfigured to a place you don't recognize her basically is what had happened. I told you to freeze that frame when Jezebel told uh, Jehu, murderer of your master, is it peace? The second enemy that you have to defeat moving forward in the plan of God is that of manipulation. The root of manipulation is fear and accusation. And that's exactly what was happening to Jehu when he came to meet Jezebel. The accusations, the manipulation begin to come against his life the condemnation. We know the Bible says that the enemy, Satan, is a condemner of God's people. Absolutely. Absolutely. He condemns you. He tries to paralyze you in fear. He tries to manipulate you. But you know what? You have to recognize that and find a few friends to help you. See, fear is defeated when you bring things into the light. This is, look, he said, look, I got a couple eunuchs up there, throw her down. It takes people around you to help you throw down the voice of fear. You can't do it by yourself all the time. Even a guy like Jehu, why didn't he take a bow out of his, he's a good bower, a good archer. Matter of fact, he was one of David's men, an archer killer. I mean, this dude was, this dude had it going. I mean, he, he had good aim, if you know what I'm talking about. Sniper, in today's terms, it's true. Why didn't he just sniper? Obviously, the word of the Lord had to be fulfilled where she would be disfigured, but... If you would just entertain with me, sometimes it takes other people to help you to destroy the voice of fear and manipulation, to see the blind spots, to be objective in your life. You've got to defeat manipulation. Not only that, you've got to have discernment and watch out for those who are trying to get close to you with ulterior motives. They will come. Stay focused, ignore the lies of the enemy until God's word is fulfilled. He destroyed manipulation. But the thing about fear manipulation is it lingers. We're continuing in the story, and Jehu's going to kill Ahab's sons. There's 70 of them. And he's going to kill all 70 of these sons. And they were Jezebel. You know, they, I believe they had a remnant of fear and manipulation, witchcraft in them. The thing about fear and manipulation is it's not just one defeat. You've got to continue to defeat it. And this is exactly what he did. And again, this is my personal word out of this. 
context that we're reading is that you have to continue to kill the residue, the cloud, if you would, that tries to follow you in 2 Kings chapter 10. This guy, this guy is an amazing character, Jehu, because he was also a wonderful writer. He could write some pretty good letters that get the job done because in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's sons. So he was a tremendous writer. His writing must have had some great influence in it because after they read their letters, the letters that were sent from Jehu, here's what they did. <laughs> Pretty convincing letter, if you say the least. So here it was, verse seven. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered them, all 70. Here, it gets even better. They put their heads in a basket and sent them to Jezreel, sent them to Jehu in a basket. I mean, what a delivery. That's a UPS job times three, right? <laughs> Verse eight, then a messenger came and told him, Jehu, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. Here's Jehu's self-expression, creativity. and This is wonderful. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate till morning. I mean, imagine two piles of heads. I mean, golly, this dude is, this dude's awesome. What I see in the 70 heads, what's special to me is, is, is the Lord highlighted the heads. See, the heads of Ahab's sons were exterior barriers and voices that would continue to try to hinder the plan of God in the nation of Israel. And it'll be the same for you. There'll be remnants, there'll be residue, there'll be a, 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 a fox that is always there to try to uh, destroy the vine, if you would. And these are things in your life and you've got to know what they are and you've got to highlight them that you have to completely destroy because they want to haunt you. You can't just injure your enemy, you have to completely destroy him. When I thought about heads, I thought about David and Goliath and I thought about the voice of Goliath that taunted the children of Israel continually day in, day out and night. And what did it do? It paralyzed the children of Israel until a man named David came up he killed Goliath, and then what did he do? He cut off his head. You've got to cut off the voice. Sin is crouching at your door, and it's wanting to have dominion in your life. You've got to, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to be violent in the spirit. The kingdom of God is advancing, and the violent in the spirit Take it by force. Our weapons are not carnal, as we read in the Old Testament, which are patterns for the new. They're not carnal with swords and knives, right? But they're spiritual, and they're used to pull down strongholds and every dominion and every principality and every power that's trying to destroy your life and to resist sin, Satan, and everything that, that encompasses. You have to be violent to take out the enemy, now, the last enemy that we're going to discuss today, is, and it's, it's really a sad, it ends kind of bad. I debated about doing Jehu because, you know, he just, he didn't finish strong. He didn't finish strong. He, he didn't destroy the last enemy. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 29, however, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. That is the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. It's an amazing story. You got to go back and read the, the Old Testament. Verse 30, and the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. God's grace is unbelievable. He said, you messed up, but 
your sons shall sit on the throne. Verse 31, but this is pivotal. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel sin. The final enemy that you have to defeat is self-deception. Self-deception is your worst enemy, by the way. I saved the best for last. Self-deception will entangle itself within your own conscience, within your own mind, and begin to slowly. See, self-deception is an amazing thing. It is a, sometimes a slow process and a fast process in order to deceive you, in order for you to not finish the will of God. See, self-deception leaves unfinished business on the table. Self-deception will always cause you to leave unfinished business on the table. That's why they say success is some of the, great, the greatest enemy. You can get your life right with God. You can be passionate about the things of God. You can begin to destroy some of the enemies in your life that were meant to take you out and get some victories under your belt and accomplish some of the will of God in your life. But that's not God's best because even though you do that, you can still slip and fall into self-deception unless you have a strong inner circle around you and you're transparent and you're able to lay it all out there. You will fall into self-deception and leave unfinished business on the table. You don't want to leave unfinished business on the table. Can't put off tomorrow what God's called you to do today. The enemy of today is tomorrow. Finish your mission. Finish your race. Don't quit now. Don't quit now. Paul the apostle modeled that to Timothy, a guy he was raising up in the faith. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven, I've fought the good fight of faith. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who loved his appearing. Then we see Jesus exemplified in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. He did miracles. He raised the dead. He called the 12 disciples, the apostles. He was turning the world upside down. People wanted to make him king. He had revelation that no man had ever had. He knew he was the son of God, but he's a 100% man. And in the garden of Gethsemane, the place of suffering, the place of anguish, the voice of negotiation, the voice of manipulation, and the voice of self-deception hit Jesus. And it said he was in such anguish that theologian says that his capillaries burst and he sweat drops of blood and he bowed his knee and he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I'm gonna finish my race. I'm not gonna leave unfinished business on the table. And that's God's plan for you. To leave no unfinished business on the table. That's God's plan for you. I wanna pray for you right now. Would you bow your heads? The Lord loves you dearly. He really does. What's special is about, about the Lord is he's so loving, he's so kind, he is so patient. The Bible says that he's not slow concerning his promises as some would count slowness, 
but he's patient with everyone, wanting no one to perish, but all people to come to repentance or come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are in your life. You know, you found yourself today in a sheetrock building that we call a church. And you're hearing a message that was somewhat entertaining and somewhat convicting, but inside of your heart, the Holy Spirit right now has his hand on you. It's gentle, it's loving, and he wants a real relationship with you. Jesus wants a real relationship with you. Not religion, relationship. Not, 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 not a textbook on the shelf at the house, not a check on my list that I went to church or I'm in a, uh, a, a program where I help people. No, a vibrant, real, living, breathing relationship with Jesus. It's like no other where you can say in all confidence, I'm right with God. There was a day in my life where I bent my knee to Jesus. And from that day forward, yes, I've seen good, I've seen bad, and it's been hard and it's been a struggle. But life transformation has taken place by the Spirit of God, not just self-help, if you would. The real deal. If that's never happened, where you say there is something real in my life, I need a real relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is showing you right now that's you. Just lift your hand and put it right back down. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. You don't have to come up here. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Ma'am, I see your hand. I see your hand right there. God's dealing with you. He loves you. Anybody else says, you know what, that's me. The Holy Spirit's dealing with me. I know it's me. Thank you, ma'am, for your hand. Remember, it's not about relationship. Don't convince yourself. Don't try to find all the things that you've done right or the times you went to church or what you think or what you don't think. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as an individual right now. Say, that's me. I need a relationship with Jesus. Lift your hand and put it right back down. Thank you for your hand, ma'am. Sir, I see your hand. The Holy Spirit knows. I don't know. I'm just a man. The Holy Spirit knows. That's it. Anybody else in the room say, that's me. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, that's okay. God knows he sees you. I see your hand back there, ma'am. Yep. Let's pray this prayer. Now, I'm just going to put some words to a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You're going to pray the prayer. God sees your heart. God sees your heart right where you are. And he answers that genuine faith right there. We call it saving faith. God answers you right where you are. He's putting his hand down to you. He's pulling you out of the miry pit of sin, of death. The plan of the enemy was to kill, steal, and destroy you. But God said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, eternal life. So we're going to pray a prayer. Just say, Father, help me. Help me, Lord. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, Lord. I submit my life to you. That's right now. I submit my life to you. Everything that your mind's telling you doesn't matter. Your heart is wide open. Your spirit is coming alive to God right now. Holy Spirit, make me the person you want me to be. God, I'm yours. I'm yours, Jesus. My life is yours. It's a brand new day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Look, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says... As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed your sin. It says God remembers your sin no more. You're going to remember it. Your friend will remember it. It's in your memory ranks. God remembers it no more. Now you can begin to move forward in your walk with God. Let's give it up, church, for those who prayed that prayer. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. 
We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.